We all have moments where we feel insecure. Without awareness, those moments of insecurity shape so much of our lives. Hi, I'm Chris McAllister, and I founded SightShift to help people like you and me, leaders and coaches, use the moments they feel insecure to transform their identity, their teams, and their culture. Listen in as I interview people around what it means to be the kind of leader who uses these moments to transform themselves. Welcome, everybody. So glad you're here on the podcast. Uh, fun times as I get to introduce you to people that I'm inspired by the way they've leaned in, grown, and developed. Welcome, my friend, Chris Ritchie, to the show today. Chris, so glad you could be here and join us on the SightShift Podcast. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Right on, man. Well, so we get to dive in and learn about you and your growth and your story uh, just to give people some context. And and I think this is really cool uh, as a way to model for our listeners. You were on a show, and and let's give Callan a shout out. It's called That Worked, the name of the podcast. And you were recently a guest on on his show. And it was awesome to listen to you like talk about the shifts you've been through and how you've gotten a real vision for the impact you want to have. You've tried new things. And just to kind of sync us up with that story, give us like a couple of those big shifts and what you're doing now in terms of impact and mission, and then we'll get more into your story. Yeah, no, thanks for asking that. And big shout out to Count. That was that was awesome. Mainly the the main shifts were, you know, I guess two major ones. One's, one was going from my four years I had in corporate America where I was doing, you know, corporate development finance program into retail sales. Really my first transition into early stage startup being employee 30, finance and accounting hire number one, obviously coming from a Fortune 100 company at the time. So that was shift one. Throughout that startup over four years, having various different jobs, different functional ownerships. And then I transitioned into another startup into kind of a bigger, more broad role. And then now like the latest shift has been as of a little over a year ago, I'm now a managing partner at a firm that focuses on retained search for early stage tech startups. So now I'm kind of on the other side of the table, you know, helping these startups, you know, talk through what requirements should be nuances and positions, but also overseeing the teams that go in and find top talent for these, for these startups. Wow. So here's what I love that people can take away from this is like, you've had a seat from a lot of different perspectives and it's going to be really fun to dive into the deep stuff and, and the way that we can encourage leaders today. When you and I first connected, you had been put in charge of a massive sales responsibility. And so I've been able to see you step into these places and really shoulder a ton, like it's one thing to carry 10 pounds and then 20 pounds, and then all of a sudden to have 120 pounds and 140 pounds, this massive weight increase, get into more of the growth and the learnings. Just reflecting back on some of those shifts at a high level, what was something that you did in a positive way that helped you with that stress? And then what was something that comes to mind that maybe developed negatively just as a, a way of, of thinking or, or any kind of numbing out? Yeah. So, I mean, I actually looked back in preparation for this podcast to figure out like when exactly we got introduced and it was Doug Joseph. So shout out to Doug, who is now a really close buddy. I just saw him last night, funny enough, but it was really interesting the timing of when that introduction happened, which was pretty much right when I kind of accepted that new responsibility to lead, lead sales and grow that out as a player coach. 
And honestly, I'll say that like, you know, I think things happen for a reason. And that introduction to you was really critical. I mean, I think the big thing that I needed so much during that year, because just for some context, you know, we had, we had raised a lot of money at the time. I was at a company called Olive. Um, we had raised a lot. We had very aggressive sales goals we needed to hit in order to unlock more funding um, and continue to grow in a very short time. And sales was very new to me. I had never really sold much before, let alone kind of lead a team and a player coach. So had some success as a chief of staff helping the CEO, mostly through founder-led sales, but to kind of go off and, you know, figure it out and, and drive a team while doing it myself was very unique for many reasons, especially in a short amount of time frame. Mm. So I think the biggest thing that was positive during that was your ability to teach me that my sense of self-worth is not tied to my work performance. Mm. And I had always struggled, and I told Callan this on the podcast early on, that, you know, kind of coming into that first finance role, I had, a, you know, a couple different panic attacks, or at least it felt like it, because it was all so new to me. I didn't really have resources to go to because I had such a fear of failure, right? And I think had it had I not met you, it might have been crippling, and I might have raised my hand pretty early on in that journey. But I think your ability to show that, you know, Chris is not just a head of sales at Olive. Chris is also a son and Chris is a friend and Chris is a boyfriend. You know, the head of sales is just a role in my life that I have. And so nothing that I do specifically to one role is 100% correlated to my sense of self-worth. So I think my ability to be able to separate that with your help and allow me to kind of like breathe easy to a little bit and be able to compartmentalize that stress and anxiety is, was a very healthy way for me during that period of that year where we had really aggressive uh, goals to hit. From a negative side, I mean, I think that there's a lot of different ways to decompress, right? There's healthier ways like, you know, meditate and work out. And then I think there's cheap hits in, in doing that. And I think things like, you know, having a tough day and then pouring a strong glass of bourbon, right? Just because that's a cheap, a cheap way to take some stress off. And I've definitely, through portions of my life, have like, you know, supplemented with substances like this where I just wanted my brain to turn off. And it's, it's really impossible to shit what I needed to do. So that's definitely something in the past that I've, you know, struggled with, but I've, uh, you know, tried to find, you know, better and more natural ways to bring in and it help with that stress and anxiety reduction. Wow, man. I love the vulnerability, honesty, and, um, and for listeners that have been in this series where we've been interviewing leaders, they will not be surprised by your vulnerability because it's that common struggle to all of humanity that when something gets added or taken away in our lives, you know, it's it's something is stressfully added in a good way. It's going to grow us, but it still challenges us or something's taken away. We go through this loss or this addition. It's disorienting, right? We're adjusting to that and trying to figure out how we're going to adapt to that new normal. And And I think what I love about what you said is, you're showing the mental growth that's possible, the mindset upgrade, but it's still messy and encouraging to hear about the impact of the work. But kudos to you because you had to lean in and do that work in the mess. And having worked with lots of people in lots of different cultures, people don't always lean in and do that work. Sometimes people like to invest just because they want to feel like they're solving the problem without actually going in and doing those uh, intensive introspective exercises. You did that. You saw the results of it, which is awesome. And at the same time, there's still these messes that occur. And, you know, 
I, I think I shared with the listeners maybe a couple episodes ago. I was just telling you right before we hopped on, uh, you know, we recently moved into a brand new home. It was a big win, like big advancement, the vision of our family, all that good stuff. But moving is horrible and it's just so exhausting. And so like there are things that I've done that have been amazing to my life that you just lose momentum on moving and you stop doing them and, and maybe you slide into other habits. And I've been, you know, okay, you so do these breathing exercises every day been doing it for years. And uh, I, with the move, lost momentum, stop. And I actually read something yesterday. You probably have heard of him, Andrew Huberman, neuroscientist, putting out some info around how breath work is even more effective than meditation. You know, overall, you can do both. Both are helpful. But so that kind of motivated me, Kristen, to this morning and yesterday, I got back on the train and my neck's also sore, right? From doing the breathing. Because it's it's just this, we're adjusting. And so love love the honesty there. And I think until people are in these places, right, they don't know that vulnerability, what it feels like to have to, to adjust to those new normals. So, dude, I get it. Thank you. We want to start with where you are now, and we're going to keep on looking at different parts of how we show up as leaders. Where do you feel like right now you've got a lot of momentum? You're just like, I really feel like this could be personal or professional. I got momentum here. This continues to improve and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. So I think, you know, what comes top of mind for me, honestly, and what has me inspired, I guess, is the last six to nine months, I've really reconnected with my faith and I've gone all in really for the first time in my life. And that has just been an absolute game changer for me. Honestly, I think, you know, I've tried to proceed anything that this world has uh, to offer as it relates to success and, you know, promotions and, you know, money, whatever that it may be. And nothing's really given me a sense of peace. I think the peace that I've been searching for. So that's been like the biggest thing in my life that I've been trying to read about, spend a lot of time on and, you know, change who I am and how I show up honestly, across both professionally and per- and personally in those matters. So um, that would probably be my response to that. So we're going to, I won't do it on air right now because it's something I'm going to share with you when we get out of air. And listeners that know are going to be like, oh, Chris is going to get his heart rocked. So we'll get into that in a minute. But dude, that I mean, I'm inspired by that because, you know, I, I think this is the challenge of society at large. And we're going to get super meta with this and then get to our lives as leaders. How do we progress what needs to be progressed and conserve what needs to be conserved. Like there's hard fought for wisdom, thousands of years old that we don't want to just throw out the window, but we also want to adapt. Right. And so it's this symbiotic relationship and you can see how people break and they go to one extreme or the other, run to the progression, lose the center, right? Hold the center so much that they become rigid and then become a worse version of themselves. And so that this isn't too meta for people. You think about company cultures, right? How they're wrestling with how do we progress in the right ways, but still stay who we are. And so I think what you're expressing there really taps into that. Thoughts or questions on that? I'm just, we're 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 off the trail and I love it, but just giving you a chance to react to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And like, listen, I, I'm never a person that will force my beliefs down anyone's throat ever, personally or professionally. Right. I think I just mean that, you know, it, it centralizes your core and it's all about how you show up and how you show up. It could just be, you know, I just have more of a sense of peace. I have more of a sense of being patient, both personally and professionally, taking a deep breath, being able to compartmentalize things a lot more. And I think that that's the main benefit is that I just want to be a better version of myself. And to me, that is my unlock. It has been one of the biggest things that I have noticed that has been fantastic to me. 
So I just think that that's also kind of important as well, because I never want to be one of those people that's, you know, preaching at people or whatever. That's not what this is about, right? I think everyone has to find their own journey. Everyone has to find what works for them. And I think at the end of the day, it's all about what makes you the best version of yourself and how do you live your authentic truth? High fives all around. Because when we are force feeding, it, it could be culture change in the company to the team, a leader that you're pressuring in matters of faith, like we're talking about here. When you're force feeding, you're already co-opting the best of what those values are that you espouse because it's got to be invitational. It's got to be invitational. And uh Right on. And and that's why it's so powerful to think about this in terms of leadership and culture. And I get it. Where right now do you feel like uh, you're trying to establish momentum? A mindset, a skill, something personal, professional, you know, I'm really wanting to figure this out, close this gap. You may or may not be stuck on it. Just a place you want to get better. Yeah. So I like the way you phrased it because like I wouldn't consider it necessarily losing, but maybe more like trying to find, I, I keep have this vision of like finding traction in the mud, right? And on the professional side to shift there. So now what I do is, again, I'm a managing partner at a boutique search firm that does search for venture-backed and PE-backed technology startups and companies, right? Kind of more at the earlier stages, mostly like 150 people or less. So, you know, high stakes, you know, moving fast. Each hire is so critical through that. And, you know, a lot of our business in our growth is tied to you know, venture and PE dollars being deployed. Those companies raise money. They use that money most times to hire more people. And then they use firms like us to come in and help them because they don't either have the infrastructure at the time, the expertise, whatever that it may be. So, you know, there's lots of articles out there that, you know, VC dollars have are down 50% year over year between 22 and 21. And we're fortunate that we did have our best year ever as a firm. We did about 300 placements across 137 different startups, which wow. feel very thankful for. But, you know, it's it's been a grind, right? You know, I think a lot of firms like us, you know, business, as long as you did quality work, business would come in. You really didn't need to do much outside of that. You didn't need to go meet with people in person and better relationships and try to add value. Now it's very much, you know, we need to expand our network. We need to go in person and travel to San Francisco and New York and all these other places. We need to be more intentional. How can we add value? Like, uh, can we come up with more content or more cop reports? Or a big thing I've been doing is um, doing programming conversations based on my operator experience to help like early stage founders, like how do you build an early stage sales team? And what are some things you should be keeping in mind? Right. So things that don't immediately have a search behind it, but you know, long-term mindset's one of our core values and how do we add value to be top of mind whenever there isn't. So I think that that's been kind of the biggest thing. And you know, I know me, Casey and Caleb, my other two partners, you know, we have a pretty big team and our team is fantastic and they all have really high aspirations of what they want to accomplish this year. But a lot of it is on us to make sure we can create enough opportunity for them to achieve their goals, right? And with that comes that that responsibility to be able to do that. So that's been the biggest thing. And I think that we're seeing some wins, but obviously we can't control the macro. We can only focus on what we can control, which is do quality work and um, be intentional about what we can do to help the team out. I love it. I mean, this is the thing that people get distracted by all the time. They don't know the foundational piece of being consistent. Like, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to let this fruit take care of itself. And I'm going to be here serving these people. Yeah, I love that. Because it's such, to me, it so authentically matches up or is an overflow of who you are. Because I can think about our chats and how much you were trying to be really thoughtful and intentional and turn over the stones and consider things and not just rush into the action, which is really powerful. 
It's what makes you as a leader safe and trusted, especially when people are coming to you with what is their baby, their organization, and they're trying to build this team out. And they know that you're not just trying to, you know, check a box, but really serve them well for that traction. I think connected to this idea is as leaders, we're in the arena, sweat on the brow to use the Roosevelt quote, but there's always a part of us, I think, that is, you know, for whatever reason, the ebb and flow of our lives, it's just not necessarily recognized or seen, right? And it doesn't mean we're bitter or we have a chip on our shoulder about it. It just means we've made peace with, I'm going to show up quietly here and, and let my character be formed by this. Nothing may come to mind, but curious if like where right now does Chris work on or show up and be consistent even when it isn't seen? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, kind of two-part answer to this. I think the first one is kind of going back to what has me inspired recently. I think that I've redefined how I view success overall, right? I think it's very easy for to just focus on, you know, making more money, more responsibility, novelty, all of that. And I think just my view of what fills my cup has changed completely. And I think on top of that, it's not like I'm not goal oriented or I'm still, you know, I'm still just as driven as I am before. I just think the the drive and desires are a little bit different. I think it's less focused on um, the output, right? And just more focus on how can I be true to myself and focus on really quality inputs that will lead to the outputs that I'm looking for. Like I'm really trying to grow as a leader and I know our company has worked with an executive coach on the on the team specifically around the personalysis piece. I think Scott Riccali, who's who's great. He taught us, you know, rule around personalysis instead of the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated. It's the platinum rule, treat others how they want to be treated, right? And being able to di- dissect around personality traits and what micromanagement could be to one person could be exactly the support they need to someone else and being able to hone that in. So I think it's been mostly, you know, in that input focus, how can I adjust around the quality of work, but go even a level deeper on how can I be the best version of myself to the person that I'm interacting with and make sure that I'm showing up how they need me to show up in order to support them, which has been stretching a muscle that's very different for me. Because even though I was maybe in some leadership positions before at startups, they were mostly player coaches where I was like a super strong IC that could grow, you know, a small team. And, and in my opinion, I don't think I was even probably even being the best, you know, manager to those people at that time. Cause I was still so focused on that. I see work in front of me and driving results. And I, I feel like I'm working on who I am as a leader really for the first time. And with that comes working new muscle groups, working muscles that, you know, I don't have before and thinking a level deeper than I ever have. And it's hard. I mean, but I think, you know, focusing on that input side and thinking around that nuance of each person and what what's different has been most out of mind for me. Yeah. Thanks, man. I mean, that's definitely this progression of leadership that you see so many leaders not make, you know, okay, I can drive results and I build a high functioning team that doesn't need the constant push that I'm giving them to get those results. And having worked with enough leaders over the years where they go through those cycles, you know, I think the above average leader has about four or five of those big pushes in their life. And you see a lot of leaders give those four or five big pushes and then they're just done, exhausted. And what I've observed anyway is if you can get out of that cycle and maybe push number three or four, you're like, I don't want to have to do that again. I want to build that team. 
I want to get them unblocked. You know, it's a, it's a shift. So super cool to hear about that. A little bit of a different take on how we think of ourselves as leaders, but I'm inspired to ask this because I think it generates take and an appreciation that's so healthy. As you are learning how to meet leaders where they are more and more, not just driving results, what are you also learning about yourself that you really enjoy? Like, I enjoy this about being me. What would that be for you? I think I got to say that like what I appreciate most right now about myself, and it's it's a weird question to think about, right? And you yeah, how it is. Uh, but I appreciate the question. I think it's a good question. Is that I think that like I just realized that I am an incomplete, imperfect, flawed human being. But, you know, with that said, I've always liked that most of my seasons revolve around putting forth the effort to find out how to be better and wanting to be the best version of myself. And I think, you know, one of my biggest fears in life is I kind of forecast myself on my deathbed. I mean, we may have talked about this before and I'm looking back at my life and like regretting how I spent my time, how I showed up, how I was perceived. That is like probably my biggest fear. And so I think that like, I just appreciate that in my early twenties, I started thinking about that and I felt that. And I think everyone goes through their seasons where like, that's really important. And sometimes you can catch yourself on autopilot for a year or two. And then you kind of wake back up and you're like, oh my God, what am I doing? Like, I haven't like been spending time with myself. I haven't been doing this, but I think the fact of like, you know, seeking God, seeking others like yourself that I respect, trying to learn from others who are a little bit further along, like, tell me about you. What's working for you? How have you been doing this? And just trying to like a thirst for information and, and truth and what could what could yield to that so like putting in that work and that that time and at least having that like self-awareness at this point in my life um at least gives me a shot to hopefully avoid as much as i can that feeling down the road that i am scared of that i don't want to have man i love that hunger to learn i think we can all be encouraged by that but i want to just encourage you directly too and say you are on a path you started on that path. I kind of want to ask about that in a minute, but you started on that path at some point where you really valued growth and awareness and learning. And of course, we intersected at a part of your journey on that path. And as you stay on that path, you will find over time that shift start to occur where not 100%, but 51% or greater. I'm hungry to learn for the best of me to be here more than I'm afraid of what doesn't get done you know, who I'm not. And, and again, it's normal and natural. I don't want to take away from that at all to to have this like impetus, this pain point, this inflection moment of, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to live the values that are not going to be something that, you know, I would have willingly chosen. I don't want to be a compromising person. You know, whatever somebody's thing is that they're saying, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that. That is a great place to start. Over time, that relaxes within us so that it's like, this is the fullness of what it looks like for me to be me. And I want to keep moving towards that. So just encouraging you, there's more and it'll keep unfolding. Where right now in your growth and your leadership, because I think this is really encouraging for people to hear that it is this, you know, ongoing journey. Where right now would you go, hey, this is something for me as a leader that, and you may have already spoke to it a different way. Something else may show up. I I'm feeling a little bit tripped over. You know, I'm feeling a little insecure in this. I want to get get this figured out, get better at this. I get the strategy of what you're doing with the overall firm and traction and the whole thing. Anything else show up for you personally as a leader in that regard? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think another part that is, you know, probably big and, and has been showing up, and I think I'm in a much better spot than it was, but I think it's been mostly around, you know, recruiting is a very performance-driven nature, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And I think the biggest things are trying to, to better create a, a culture of accountability. But I think in that, you can create a culture of accountability but how can you hold people accountable if you haven't properly set the vision of what success looks like and given the proper resources and had been there for your team, especially in a very high stakes type environment? And so I don't think you can like, if as to be an effective leader, I don't think you can you can have one without the other, right? I think they have to come together as part of that. But that's been like a thread that's really unraveled for me over the last six months, where it's like you can be frustrated with performance, you know, around someone, but then you know, you can get them on and on this conversation. It's like, well, were expectations ever really clear? Was the mission ever really clear? Were they resourced really to accomplish that mission? Were you there for them during that time? Did you make the time for them? So I think that's that's probably the biggest thing is like a very comprehensive view of making sure that the team has what they need and then implementing a culture of accountability around that where everyone's throwing in the same direction. I think that there's been a lot of success and I have seen personally within my teams that like an uplift as a whole of performance being across the board by having multi-layer communication being in line and people being set up for success and rowing in the same direction. Dude, I love it. I love it. Clarity is so difficult. And until you're leading in an organization, you know, it's hard to know like how easy it is for things to be complex and confusing. Like clarity just takes so much work and it removes the burden, right? The confusion and the uncertainty. And, uh, <laughs> I would be, uh, I would, my, my highs would have giant logs in them. We'll say it that way. If I were to say like, yeah, man, I've mastered clarity. I feel like that's my greatest thing. Like every day it's just like, cause now there's a team. It's not just me. And okay. How is the team going? Is it focused? Are they aligned? Am I blocking things for them? How, and as clear as I think I am, then some confusion develops. I'm like, okay, I wasn't clear enough. I got to get clear. Maybe it's still hard. It's especially like that transition. I mean, it's true that most organizations, they promote their best ICs and the management leadership roles. And it is so different. And I think in myself is included in this bucket. It's really hard for high performing ICs to step in and be effective management and leaders. Like it is so hard to go from instead of being a writer to transitioning to be an editor. Right. And that has been... It still continues to be a challenge for me. Dude, I think that's honest. And I think it's part of the path of growth. And I think it's why a lot of people, you know, chase greater responsibility and, and economic impact thinking that's going to give them more meaning. But really, they would have more meaning staying in a role where they're an individual contributor. And so I think for those people like yourself that are that are growing through that and really trying to adapt and become this this version of who they want to become, it, there is a valley there to get through. And you do get in a groove with it, but it does, it does take time. What for you, where, do you look back at any point in time and go, man, that's just when things clicked for me and not clicked as far as started working, but clicked as far as like, I just, I realized I could read a book and get an answer to a problem. I could talk to somebody and learn. And clearly when you and I met, that was already a part of your story and what you valued. Was there ever a moment like that where you can remember, you know, kind of like not caring and then caring, or maybe has it always been there? Caring about like what specifically, I want to make sure I answer this, like, 
yeah, awareness and learning and growing and like I can apply my effort and I can try to use my brain and I can improve something. Yeah, I think the um, I think that the general self awareness. I think I've always had a general self awareness because my my mom is very much hugely into self awareness and introspection. And I remember growing up, she would like I would want to go play video games with any of my friends, and she'd make sure that like each day or every other day I had time or it was just like me by myself, figure something out, make it happen for yourself. And then she'd use really good probing questions at dinner, not surface level, go very deep on certain things that I think kind of conditioned me to do that. So I think that I, I have to give her some credit. I think it was just like how I was raised in that way to start like kind of picking my head up and asking different questions and to think about like where I'm actually headed. But I'd say like the the other big thing was I think just being in like my senior year of college, I felt uh, I felt like I, I probably was depressed. I think I saw a therapist a couple different times. I think through that and being like, why do I feel this way? And that's when I started my, you know, reading a lot of like the development books and, the, you know, personal help books, if you will. And I put together kind of like a personal binder where I set like goals around like financial, personal health, faith, all of those different things at the time. And I think just me asking these big questions of myself, because it felt like, you know, college is really just an extension of your adolescence. Uh, but I think as I was nearing into that real world, I was kind of like, I still don't know who I am. You know, college is great because I got to experience all these different things in this like nice, contained, safe environment. But I almost like just didn't feel like I had much of an identity. And so I needed to spin that work. And I think that that, that big push and drive is really what started all of this for me uh, was at that point. Oh, yeah. I can hear that. That's cool. Uh, and I remember some of our, our chats about your mom and her impact and influence regarding that. And that is just so neat and so rare to have that kind of, you know, thoughtful intentionality and yeah. And how much courage it takes, right? To let your kid be bored. And, yeah. and cause I think sometimes the anxiety of parents, you know, they can they feel like they've got to carry the responsibility to never let their kid be bored. And your mom's like, I'm going to go the opposite direction in that <laughs> because of how empowering it is. That's awesome. Um, okay. So we know, you know, this working with companies, correct me if I'm wrong, but People are more like covered up than ever, overwhelmed than ever. You know, if I don't know what happened like during the last couple of years of COVID or whatever, but it seems like, it, you know, just what it takes to get a day done, you know, increased by like 30%, but there was no time increase. What would you say for leaders listening to this that are are grabbing a hold of something you're sharing, they're feeling you know, okay, I want to work on myself like Chris is talking about. I want to grow. I, I want to develop myself. Where would you encourage them to go, to start, to do? If you could have a message to leaders that they would take away from today, what would you give to them to help them? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think it first starts with auditing your time. Like, sure, there's like, I just read this really amazing book called The Rip Relentless Elimination of Hurry. That's a phenomenal book. And it's all around how, you know, a mix of our American consumerism mixed with, we just like added more and more on our plate and we haven't taken anything away. And so we're never really still because we're never really still. It's hard for us to really feel joy, whether it's like being very present for our coworkers, for our clients, for our family, for yourself, whatever that it may be. So if I'm, you know, starting with like basic first principles here, it is like if you, if you want to be doing certain things that are on your heart, like reading, 
joining a, a leadership group, you know, working with someone like yourself, which I would highly recommend that they do. But they're like, I just don't have the time. I have maybe a family and I have a high demanding job and all of this. It's like, how are you spending your time? And I bet that if everyone sat down and like clawed out how much they're spending their time, like how much time are you spending on Netflix? How much time are you spending scrolling Twitter, looking the news, whatever that it may be? Like, I personally think that there's always time that could be taken away to put in stuff like being able to work out, to be able to listen to an audiobook that's going to help you or to meditate, whatever that it is. It's just, you have the keys to make that happen. I just think it's like, audit it, rank your time, get rid of the stuff that's not serving you, put in the couple things, and maybe it's just one to start, right? It's just positive momentum, get the snowball rolling in that one direction. That would be, you know, I think what I would recommend most and then design your day around what works best for you. Like you don't have to be that person that wakes up at four or five in the morning and, and goes and works out. I'll never be that person. I wish that I was, but I, and I, I am not going to be that person, but, but I have been able to recently as of the last 12 to 14 weeks, hire a coach that has like put together a plan for me, make it as easy as possible. I'm in nutrition and work outside and fit a time specifically in my day. That's just for me to be able to go and do that because that helps me avoid like wanting to go get a bourbon that night or to do other stuff because I, it's a positive habit. Right. But I had to like delete stuff out of my life that wasn't serving me to put that in, in order to also make sure that I could show up for work and show up for my wife, um, and to do the other things that I want to do. So I'd say audit, eliminate what doesn't serve you start with one, maybe to start something positive in that direction that's on your heart and go from there. Dude, I love it. So permission giving for them to figure it out, what works for them. And I love the honesty about with your own story. Just wait. As old dad vibes kick in much later down the road, you'll have no problem on the, you'll wake up early like, dang it, man, I, I really would like to sleep in. <laughs> it's like a dad meme. So man, what what an encouraging story for us to hear today because it's real. It's in the moment. It's got past, present, future components to it. And all of us as leaders are looking to learn and get better. So Chris, no doubt they're going to be able to do that. If people wanted to connect with you more, whether professionally, they're listening to you talk and going, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. I need his company's help. Or personally, what would be the best place they could go to reach out and connect with you? Yeah. So the only two platforms that I have a presence on now uh, is LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm probably most active on LinkedIn because I am in recruiting. And so that's probably the best place to find me. I'm a Twitter lurker, to be honest, more of a, of a learner than a contributor, but that's, that may be something that I changed down the road, but probably LinkedIn would be the best bet. It's just, uh, I think Christopher dash Ritchie. I'm on the end of LinkedIn.com. There we go. Christopher Dash Richie. They can find you there. Awesome. I'm sure they'll put it in the show notes too. What a joy to have you here today. Thanks for being on the show and sharing so vulnerably and thoughtfully with everyone listening. Thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for being here. You know that self-leadership is difficult. And as you listened, if you found within yourself a desire for more awareness for yourself, your team, or your culture, or the people that you would guide as a coach, you can find more at SightShift.com, S-I-G-H-T-Shift.com to take the next step.